G'day guys, my name's Jake and welcome to another week of Jake Breaks the News. I'm going to be taking you through yet another very controversial week in the news. This week the Republican National Convention has taken place with some strange but optimistic speeches from the likes of Donald Trump Jr. and Kimberly Guilfoyle. Uh, wild weather from snow to strong storms and even bushfires have lashed parts of Australia and our firefighters are set to be sent to America to battle the ongoing blazes in California. But as usual, let's start our show with the stories that you didn't hear. Insurgents believed to be terrorists associated with the jihadist militant group Abu Sayyaf have detonated two bombs in Jolo on the island of Sulu in the Philippines. Tragically, the first blast occurred as the Filipino military were carrying out humanitarian efforts in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis. The second bombing was a suicide bombing on the Our Lady of Mount Carmel Cathedral, which was the target of another bombing just last year. 15 people have died, including one of the attackers, and 75 have been injured. Presidential spokesman Harry Roque has condemned the attack, stating that authorities are now conducting an investigation which will include identifying the individuals behind the attacks. According to the Filipino army, two Indonesian women, one likely the wife of one of the first Filipino suicide bombers who was killed in 2019, were behind the attacks. The group has claimed, which has claimed responsibility for the attacks, Abu Sayyaf, have been committing these acts over the course of several years in a fight over what they claim is their ancestral homeland in the southern islands of the Philippines. Uh, more news to come out of that tragic unfolding situation. And a bill entitled the Earn It Act of 2020 has been introduced to the U.S. Senate that may undermine previous legislation for the encryption and privacy of online messages in an effort to eradicate the solicitation of child pornography and sexual exploitation. Introduced by Republican Senator Lindsey Graham from South Carolina and Democratic Senator Richard Blumenthal from Connecticut, the bill would expose organizations to crushing legal liability if they refuse to break encryption of online messages on the order of government officials. The senators claim that it is an effort to make online service providers more liable for acts of exploitation, but it has been pointed out that this is in breach of the United States' Fourth Amendment, allowing government officials to break encryption and view online messages without a warrant. The bill is now under review in a committee, but it has received minimal news coverage in the US or overseas. The name of the bill, Earn It, is an acronym for Eliminating Abusive and Rampant Neglect of Interactive Technologies, and also a reference to the bill's aim to make online providers earn their lack of liability for abuses of their technology. What do you think? Is that a moral and effective way to eradicate the misuse of online services? Or is Americans' privacy at risk? Coming up next, we're going to be talking about our major story for this week, right after this quick song break, which is Fool to Cry by the Rolling Stones. Daddy, what's wrong? 
was full to cry by the rolling stones welcome back to jake breaks the news here on 106.9 tune fm now on to our major story for today and amidst the covid 19 crisis in victoria premier daniel andrews has faced criticism for seeking to extend the state's state of emergency for a further 12 months a move which critics are labeling as undemocratic Andrews declared a state of disaster following the second wave of cases in Melbourne, extending the power of the government to enforce lockdown in order to limit the spread of the virus, while the lesser state of emergency has continued since the initial wave in March. But there are a lot lot of loud voices from the extreme ends of the political spectrum, screaming outlandish things such as communist, fascist, and all sorts of in-betweens, And it's hard to distinguish the truth from the dozens of self-proclaimed social media experts. So what is Andrews actually seeking to do? 
Is there legislation standing in his way and would further restrictions be of harm or benefit to Victoria? Let's break it down. Earlier this week, Premier Andrews announced his intention to push for a further 12 months on the state of emergency when Parliament resumes in the coming week. But he has since backed down, admitting that he may have to compromise after resistance from the Liberal opposition in order to sway the four crossbench voters that he will need for the move to pass. The state of emergency declaration was first made in Victoria on the 16th of March and will expire on the 13th of September after the maximum of six extensions. But with Victoria still recording record numbers of cases and deaths, Andrews sees a need to extend the state of emergency as COVID-19 in Victoria continues at pandemic levels. However, he has faced opposition not only from his own Liberal state opposition, but from the federal government, with Prime Minister Scott Morrison and Treasurer Josh Frydenberg being openly critical of the move. Australian Industry Group Chief Executive Innes Wilcox also declared that extending the emergency powers would be an admission of failure. So what exactly are the powers that Daniel Andrews wants to extend? Under Victorian legislation, a state of emergency can be declared when an emergency event threatens the safety, property or integrity of the state. It sets aside the normal workings of legislation and the state's constitution and concentrates the broad regulation-making powers in the hands of officials of the government. Under this state of emergency, regulations such as the enforcement of uh, quarantine, the closure of the state borders and mask-wearing regulations have been put in place using the Andrews government's power under the COVID state of emergency. A key point that I have to stress here, though, is that for this reason, none of those rule changes were unconstitutional. The Victorian constitution and the system of legislation is set aside during a state of emergency, which was declared and passed without a problem. The Andrews government has followed the advice of a national cabinet during its state of emergency, as well as the World Health Organization and from the Morrison federal government as well. The problem that Andrews is facing is that a state of emergency can only be extended a maximum of six times, which places him in a conundrum as Victoria's COVID crisis reaches its worst rates so far. A state of emergency can last for a maximum of six months, but if passed through parliament, the state of emergency could be extended further if necessary. However, a 12-month extension has faced severe backlash from Liberal state MPs who see the move as anti-democratic, with the Andrews government potentially taking an excess of power for upwards of 18 months. Crossbench MP for the Reason Party, Fiona Patton, has confirmed that the Andrews government has offered a compromise of a six-month extension in order to pass the move through Parliament. Patton argued that without scrutiny and oversight, Andrew's move could set precedent for future 18-month states of emergency to be declared without the approval of the parliament. Well, what do you think? We'd be interested to know. In the words of Justice Party leader Darren Hinch, it is indisputable at the moment that an extension of the state of emergency needs to take place in Victoria. If it was worthy of a state of emergency in March, it is even more so now. Otherwise, the government and police will be absolutely neutered in their ability to contain the record-breaking outbreak. But where is the line on how far of an extension is an abuse of Andrew's power? And are the Liberal Party causing more damage by holding Parliament at a standstill on the issue? Let us know your thoughts. Uh, you can send us a message on TuneFM 106.9. 
You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM. Of course, we're going to go to a quick song break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about some interesting and uplifting news. Uh, that coming up next, this is Jetlag by Simple Plan and Ma- Natasha Bedingfield. by Simple Plan and Natasha Bedingfield. Welcome back to Tune FM's Jake Breaks the News. Moving on to some interesting news now. An elephant in the Warsaw Zoo in Poland is set to be put on a trial of cannabis oil to deal with the symptoms of anxiety. Fredzia, the African elephant, has been displaying symptoms of severe anxiety since the recent death of senior member of the herd, Erna, at the zoo. 
and has even broken into fights with other elephants. The zoo announced on its website this week that the experiment will be conducted in an effort to calm Fredzia and alleviate her anxious symptoms. Zookeeper Patrick Pichinski said that elephants are extremely intelligent and social creatures and can therefore suffer for a long time after the loss of a family member for even years. The zoo are hopeful that the experiment will be a success and will restore Fredzia to her usual calm self. And we will endeavor to let you know the results of that experiment. On to some good news now, and a blind mother has gotten the opportunity to see her unborn baby's face thanks to an advanced 3D print of her ultrasound. The woman, who was born with glaucoma, was devastated not to be able to see her developing bundle of joy, but doctors conducted the special scan for her and sent the 3D print to her in the post. The technology is usually used for developing babies with spina bifida, allowing doctors to see the developing shape of the baby's spine to see if they need in-womb surgery. The doctors at the hospital in Baltimore have suggested that the technology can be put to good use for blind patients, helping them to connect with their baby and grow love and connection with the unborn child in the same way non-vision impaired parents can. It's an exciting and touching new use of a piece of very impressive technology. And finally, onto some weird news. Vermin Supreme, the independent presidential candidate known for wearing a boot on his head and promising every American a free pony, has launched a bid for the Senate seat of the state of Massachusetts in the upcoming election. He has proclaimed himself a libertarian alternative to Democratic candidates Edward Markey and Joe Kennedy III, who are seen as having the edge in the state. Supreme has been a candidate in every election since 2004, usually running in the presidential primaries for the state of New Hampshire. But he decided to join the race after hearing that disaffected voters were writing his name on their ballots. He has launched his campaign with the most iconic slogan I've ever heard. Together, we will ride our ponies into a zombie-powered future. What a guy. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM. We'll be back very shortly for our final segment here on Jake Breaks the News. Before that, this is Boulevard of Broken Dreams by Green Day.
this empty street on the boulevard of broken dreams where the city sleeps and I'm the only one of Broken Dreams by Green Day. You're listening to Jake Breaks the News here on 106.9 Tune FM. Today in our history segment, we're going to be exploring the murder trial of Arne Cheyenne Johnson, a man who fatally stabbed his landlord and then claimed that the devil told him to do it. Johnson was arrested in 1981, charged with murdering his landlord in what appeared to be an open and shut case. The 40-year-old had clearly been killed in a violent argument with Johnson, but he would quickly make headlines for a particularly outlandish claim from him, his defense, and his family that the devil made him do it. Attorney Martin Manella stated to the press, the courts have dealt with the existence of God. Now they're going to have to deal with the existence of the devil. So what exactly is the full story? On the 16th of February 1981, Johnson stabbed his landlord to death with a five-inch pocket knife, actually committing the first murder in the history of his town. He had no criminal record and was considered a fairly regular young man. But when the trial began, the claims began to make headlines. Johnson's fiancé's brother, David Glatzel, claimed that in the summer of 1980, while living with Johnson, he was regularly visited by an old man who would taunt him. He claimed in court that he would regularly wake up in fits, speaking of visions of a man with big black eyes, a thin face with animal features, and jagged teeth, pointed ears, horns, and hooves. The family had asked a priest to bless their home, but to no avail. Glatzel's family testified that he would go into fits of kicking, biting, spitting, and swearing, experiencing strangling attempts by invisible hands. And soon, those experiences would occur in the daytime as well. Glatzel would start hissing, having seizures, and speaking in strange voices. The family claimed it was an obvious case of demonic possession, but psychiatrists diagnosed him with a learning disability. The family would later claim that in several exorcism attempts, Glatzel levitated, cursed, and even stopped breathing. In October of 1980, Johnson allegedly taunted the demon, demanding that it leave Glatzel alone and take on him. And so it was insisted that it was, in fact, the devil that had caused Johnson to stab his landlord to death just months later. Johnson allegedly investigated a well, which Glatzel had claimed to be the source of the demonic presence that had possessed him, and sometime after that, committed the murder. Johnson's attorney Manella claimed 
not guilty by reason of demonic possession. Perhaps the most strange thing I've ever heard in a court of law. He claimed it during the trial, but it would eventually inspire the movie The Conjuring. The devil made me do it. Eventually, after struggling to prove any demonic involvement, the defense was forced to switch to a self-defense plea. And Johnson would ultimately be sentenced to 10 to 20 years for first-degree manslaughter. He would only serve five of those years. Now that's an insane story. We'll finish today's episode with my pop culture recommendation for you. This week, I'm recommending the series Snowpiercer which has premiered this year on Netflix in Australia. It's an adaptation of the concept behind Bong Joon-ho's 2013 film. It's a magnificent take on class inequality and climate change. Check it out on Netflix today. I highly recommend it. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM. Don't forget to stick around until 6 o'clock for the start of the weekly review, but I'll leave you with another song from 1987 as we celebrate our 50th here at Tune. It's I Want to Dance with Somebody by Whitney Houston. See you next time.